Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Coach the Coach Radio. Brought to you by the Business Radio X Ambassador Program, the no-cost business development strategy for coaches who want to spend more time serving local business clients and less time selling them. Go to brxambassador.com to learn more. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Coach to Coach Radio, and this is going to be a fun one. Today we have with us Claire Chandler with Talent Boost. Welcome, Claire. Thanks, Lee. It's great to be here. Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us about Talent Boost. How are you serving folks? Sure. So I formed Talent Boost uh, back in 2013 after uh, I had spent the majority of my career in corporate roles. Um, And then I left corporate America in 2011, kind of dabbled a little bit for for two years. I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs can share that that type of journey of walking the earth a little till you figure out your your niche. Um, And so fast forward to today, I work primarily with the, the private equity and VC community um, to help them invest in the right businesses that will deliver the returns they're looking for. So that's kind of the trouble I get up into lately. And um, so then what's your role? Are you just helping them vet them? Are you helping them identify them? Are you kind of, once they purchase something, then are you helping fix them? Like what's your role with the VCs? Yeah. So on the front end, when they're considering which company to invest in next, I work with them to build a, a evaluation profile that helps them make a wiser, wiser decision really on the right company to get behind, because obviously, you know, they want to put their money um, behind a company that is actually going to deliver for them. And then on the back end, once they've made that financial commitment, I help them integrate that company. So it's aligned and it's equipped to actually deliver the value creation plan that they envisioned. So you work a lot uh, kind of with the human being part of the transaction and the culture and the kind of fit? Yeah, very very much so. Human capital valuation specifically is, uh, is yeah, my bread and butter. Now, when you're working with um, leaders like this, are you seeing – folks may be in one environment, they're the perfect leader, but you put them in a different kind of culture, then all of a sudden there's friction and they're not able to kind of lead in the same manner and they're, they have to kind of evolve a little bit. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, I think that, um, that tends to be the biggest source of, um, underperformance and sometimes downright failure when you put the, you know, the wrong person, in a, in a role, especially at a, at a leadership level. I was just having this conversation with, with one of my clients the other day. Um, they had acquired a, a, a business and wanted to install at the head of that business. Um, it's a small company, but they wanted to install somebody who came from a really big enterprise type of an organization. Um, and I cautioned against that, you know, for, for the reason that you just sort of touched upon, which is, you know, big organizational experience, um, does not always, and quite often it does not at all, translate into success in more of a startup, getting them to the next level, um, you know, for, for a bunch of reasons, not the least of which is a big company leader is used to a lot of structure, is used to a lot of support, is used to, um, you know, if they make uh, a miscalculation or maybe not the best decision, it can be more easily absorbed in a large organization. So just assuming that somebody who's got big company leadership experience 
um, that that's going to translate is really a faulty assumption. And the skills um, required to found a company is different than to kind of lead a more mature company. Very much so. I, I, I think the skills and the capabilities to found a company out of whole cloth and then to grow that company and, and help it mature. And then, of course, you know, getting to the point where, where you're trying to lead a very large, very mature organization, three very, very different skill sets. And it's the rare leader who can evolve along that entire journey. So now when you're working um, with the people who um, hire you, is that something where you're like, hey, this person, you know, they were great to get this thing started, but, you know, we might have to have a path to have them kind of exit and then bring in a more manager person rather than a kind of founder person. Is that part of your role? It, it is. Um, and it's, it's a key part of the, the service uh, that I provide to my clients is really to assess um, depending on their, their hypothesis, right. Their value creation plan hypothesis um, really help them assess the people within that portfolio company uh, especially at that top leadership level, and especially the very top leader, do they have the capability and the capacity to take that company to the next level? Um, sometimes the answer is yes, and we can assess and we can measure that. And sometimes, unfortunately, the answer is no, for the very reasons we just talked about, which is, you know, it's the, the founder's mentality, the founder's capabilities, the founder's mindset um, often don't uh, translate over to a more mature, more structured uh, more quote unquote professionally run organization. Now, um, having done this for a minute or so, have you learned kind of what are the kind of biggest drivers for value? Or are there kind of some commonality that you've kind of said, okay, these are kind of the qualities that companies that are thriving and healthy and growing possess? Yeah. So here's what's interesting. You know, we used to live in an industrial economy, right? And I think a lot of people um, sort of falsely believe that we're still there. And in an industrial economy, the, the overwhelming majority of, of business value, um, somewhere around 95% of the value of any business was driven by what we would call tangible assets, right? The, the company's technology, the products, their operations, uh, of course, their financial capital, but the, the reality is we don't live in an industrial economy anymore. We live in an intellectual one. And it's a fundamental shift that I think a lot of companies, a lot of business leaders, and a lot of investors have not quite fully embraced yet. Um, but our economy today is really dependent primarily on the output of the human mind, not the human hands, right? So it's things that I would call intangible assets, your, your company brand the services that you provide, the intellectual property, the, the knowledge that's in your organization. And all of that, of course, culminates in human capital. So with this shift in the economy came a shift in what drives business value. So whereas before that value in an industrial economy was almost entirely driven by tangible assets, today it's well over 72% um, of, of a business's value is driven by intangible assets. And that's across any industry, right? And in some industries, I'm looking at, you know, the tech industries, the pharma industries, the intangible assets drive closer to 80 to 95% of the value of a business. So it's really, really critical that businesses do pay attention to that. 
And it's one of those things where, like you said, that not every industry is embracing that thesis that, uh, you know, if you go to the bank and try to get a loan on that, it's going to be a lot harder <laughs> to do in a traditional kind of financing matter to explain to them how 72% of our value is, you know, IP and they want to give you a loan based on your real estate and the building and your stuff. Sure, because that's, you know, the, the tangible is a lot easier to measure, right, in, in most cases. But there are firms out there, there are businesses out there that have not only embraced this shift toward the intangible driving business value, but really have come to understand what it takes to measure that and to assess that. And as we know, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, right? Um, so in that scenario, when we're going to to banks and we're going to investors and saying, you know, this is this is what I need to get to the next level. Um, the companies that cannot uh, quantify that intangible part of their business um, are falling short and are finding it quite difficult to attract the right investors to help them get to that next level. So now you, um, so you're saying that it can be measured. It absolutely can be measured. So then how does a firm go about measuring uh, kind of intangibles? Yeah. So, you know, back to your your point about um, different leaders not necessarily succeeding in, in any role, it actually starts with um, the value creation plan hypothesis, right? So you can measure, you can assess the human capital, um, the capability, the capacity of uh, you know, the leadership, the depth of talent in any company, but the analysis of that data will change based on the hypothesis of your value creation plan, right? So when I work with a client, I always start there and I say, let's get really, really clear on what your end goal is. What is that exit strategy? Where do you want to be after your, you know, three to five year holding period? What does that return need to look like? like for you. And let's get really clear on that end point first. That is really valuable information for somebody like me to come in. And then when I do, um, you know, I, I have some proprietary tools that I use both assessments and diagnostics that then help me to quantify the capacity and capability within that target company to deliver on that value creation plan, to actually turn that hypothesis into reality. Um, and so it's, you know, there is a lot of science behind that. There's a little bit of art um, just in terms of, right, that difference between data and analytics, um, making sure that you know what you're collecting and toward what end goal. Um, but that's really how, how I tend to, to work, get really clear on what the end goal looks like, and then assess with that in mind um, to really be able to validate, does this existing human capital, especially at the top layers of leadership, have what it takes to take their company and this investment to the next level. Now, in the world of private equity and venture capitalists, um, aren't they primarily looking for home runs and grand slams or outs? Like they're not looking for singles or doubles that might be just fine businesses, but they aren't going to be the ones that return kind of the value that they're looking for, for the investment that they're making and the risk that they're taking. Yeah, that's right. And, and honestly, that's why the, um, the failure rate 
can be so high because a lot of the investors are swinging for the fences. And listen, we all we all want to smash the ball, right? We all want to get you know five times a return on the investment, ten times, um, you know, pick your number. Um, but a lot of these investments do fall short because they're not um, the investors and the companies that are supporting them are not necessarily focusing on again the majority of what drives the business value, right? Um, and a lot of them say, well, you're talking about human capital, you know, you're talking about human beings. So let's cut to the chase. They're unpredictable. Uh, they are wild cards in our equation. We already get that. That's the, that's the part that we're just sort of taking a gamble on, um, but they can't be measured. And the firms that understand that, yes, they can, and yes, they must, before you plunk your money down behind a company, um, you know, are the ones that are getting the higher returns. They're the ones that are outpacing the S&P 500. They're the ones that are uh, building the buy-in of the people on the ground that actually have to deliver on their VCP. Um, so yeah, it, you know, it starts with that shift in mindset. And I know for a lot of people, that's a hard one to grasp because it's not, it's not tangible. Um, but the reality is those firms that measure and assess the intangibles in the companies that they're about to invest in are, are going to, you know, uh, I don't want to say hit for the cycle, but let's keep using the baseball analogy, right? They are far more likely to get extra bases out of their swings than just singles or, you know, God forbid, outs. Now, um, to continue that metaphor, do you feel that um, in your work, you're able to maybe stretch that single into a double or that double into a triple uh, and prevent the out from occurring. Um, whereas if maybe they were left to their own devices, then, you know, maybe a, something that could be a double or a triple might've been an out because they have the wrong kind of human capital on the team. Yeah. I would say that that is an accurate statement and always, you know, the, the earlier you bring in somebody like me, but more specifically that lens through which you can look at and assess and measure the human capital side of the business. Again, the intangibles that drive the, the overwhelming majority of the value. The earlier in your acquisition or investment process, you bring in that lens, the more likely you are going to mitigate your risk and accelerate your success, right? And so smart companies do this right at the due diligence phase uh, stage. They don't wait until after they've already put money, committed funding behind a company. Um, because if they do it right and they do it more thoroughly and they do it in a way that quantifies the intangibles, they are more, much more likely to put their money, first of all, behind the right company and to do it with more enthusiasm and confidence that they're making the right decision. If they're doing this after the fact, so say they've already made the commitment to the funding um, you know, and, and maybe it's it, it's as late as six months post close. Um, invariably, they're going to start to see some some cracks in the foundation and some um, pain points if they did not pay sufficient attention to the intangibles. Um, things like you know they're not um, they're not able to hire enough of the right people. They're not able to retain the good people that they have. Um, you know, the, the frontline supervisors are driving people away or they're driving underperformance. The top leadership doesn't fully buy in to the value creation plan hypothesis. All of those different points along the way can be 
assessed and measured, but starting with the due diligence process, but even post close, and the more clearly you can see what you're what you're working with in terms of capacity, in terms of capability, then you can more clearly see the actions that you can take, whether it's to pay more attention and spend more time and effort on aligning the people that you have with the value creation plan. Um, you know, I'm a big advocate of helping people see a direct connection between their role and their contributions to how it's going to move the needle forward, right? And helping a company get to the next level. Um, and it's, it is no less true when you've got the backing of a, you know, of a, of a, of an investor, a private equity or, or, you know, seed funding or what have you. Um, the alignment is critical. I think a lot of companies, especially, you know, both at the startup side, but also on the investor side, make a really critical mistake in thinking that money will solve everything. Um, I have heard startups, you know, say uh, we could get to the next level if only we had, you know, the, the right level of, of financing or financial capital and funding from the right investor. And I always caution them and say, that's really a faulty assumption, right? Because if they don't have the capacity and the capability to actually take themselves to the next level, back to that earlier point of, you know, a founder's mentality, a founder's skill set, a founder's vision may not be the same set of skills and capabilities and mindset that you're going to need to get from where you are to where you want to get to. Um, so just assuming that a blank check or a big check from an investor is going to smooth over any of the other cracks and fissures in your foundation is a really faulty assumption. And it's also made on the investor side. Some investors see, you know, a, a great idea or a really good idea and they want to help take it to the next level or the start of a decent company that's had some early success and they want to be part of their, their growth and evolution. Just putting money behind it is not going to crush your value creation plan. You have to make sure you've got the right people in the right roles, that they've got the right um, mindset and alignment and buy-in to where you want to go. And that they've got the right capabilities and skills to take you there. Now, if somebody wanted to learn more about uh, what you got going on, is there a website to get on your calendar and maybe have a discussion about, uh, you know, helping that firm get to the next level? Yeah. So there's there's two things. They can go to my website, which is talentboost.net. Um, and there's two areas I would absolutely encourage anyone to, to go to. One is to click the, the link on the top that says checklist. So there is a, uh, I put together a free checklist. I call it profit levers and risk flags. And whether you're on the investor side or the startup side, that checklist is going to enable you to quickly calculate the top three areas in your business that are currently competitive advantages for you, that maybe you're not putting your foot on the gas to, uh, to as sufficient of a level as you could. It's also going to help you calculate the top three areas that are threatening to derail your success. So, you know, an investor can, can download that and start to use that immediately as they're thinking about their next um, investment. They can even take that and use that as, you know, a, a very critical, valuable lens toward the company they've recently acquired. And even on the startup side, those who are thinking about, you know, is now the time, right? Is now the time for us to grow, to scale, to take on an investor? That checklist is going to ask them some really key questions to help them get to some of those answers. So that's point one. And the other area on talentboost.net, to your direct question of if somebody wants to reach out, you want to talk specifically about where you are in your business and how maybe somebody like me can 
help you get ready for your next level, there's a button on the top right says book a call, go there, pick the kind of call you'd like to schedule with me and let's do it. And then, so you primarily work with private equity and VCs, but you do also work with entrepreneurs? I do also work with entrepreneurs. Um, you know, a lot of the the fundamentals are the same on both sides of that relationship, right? It's about really getting uh, as granular and as uh, as tangible as you can with the intangible assets that you have, right? Um, so whether you're an investor who's considering your next investment or an investor who has just recently acquired a, a new company and wants to integrate it the right way, but also on the startup side, you're heading up a startup uh, or a growing business that you want to take to the next level. A lot of my framework and my process is very consistent on both sides of that equation. Um, so yeah, so I encourage, you know, e- even if you're just curious, you just have questions, go download the checklist, book a call with me and let's have a conversation. Good stuff. Well, Claire, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing important work and we appreciate you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be here. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Coach the Coach Radio. 